The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. At the end of today's episode, we'll tell you about the church-wide initiative called Breakthrough, a time of prayer and fasting. We'll meet during our normal Sunday morning services, January 14th at 9 and 11, and we'll also have two additional sessions. This will be on Sunday and Monday, both at 6.30. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, where Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit, Jesus teaches us how to battle unbelief in our lives. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Brian Jones will give you a few principles to battle unbelief and to be transformed with deeper faith. Today's message is titled, Unbelief. Amen. Well, good morning to you. You guys got some New Year's energy. I like it. Uh, Out of curiosity, how many of you are seven days in to your New Year's resolution? Anybody do it? Still? You guys either aren't resolution people or you're just afraid to make this thing public. Well, I want to show you one thing that I did see for you resolution people. If you bought weights or running shoes or if you bought anything that has to do with athletics on Amazon, I saw this the other day. Look at this. This was a little picture that said before you bought this thing, it said, is this a New Year's resolution that you actually plan on keeping in the new year? So I just want you to know if you've got New Year's resolutions, Amazon doubts you. So... May that be motivation for you in this new year. But I do not doubt you, and I'm excited about this new year and uh, what God has in store. And I've been really excited to preach on this passage. I came across this passage probably four or five years ago, and it really stirred me because I think it, it talks about the cultural moment we're in. And as I was thinking about this message, it reminded me of a time about 15 years ago uh, when I was a youth pastor in Chicago. And uh, there was a, um, a kid that was in our youth group, uh, my wife and I were about 25, 26 at the time, who really just had a troubled past. And uh, he had um, his father that he had never met, his mother abandoned him to his grandmother, and so he had met his mother a couple times, and, uh, and he just had all this pain and this hurt, and he was a part of our youth group. And when you first met him, you would always notice him because he would act out. And he would always do things and get in fights and arguments. And so we got a little bit of his story, and then we found out what was going on with him. And then we found out his grandmother just couldn't um, keep up with him. And so here is this 17-year-old boy that she just said, I can't do it. And so he had about seven or eight months till he graduated. And I found out one day in our youth group that he was living on the couches of different kids in the youth group. And sometimes when he couldn't find a place, he would sleep in the car. And so my wife and I, we started praying and we just said, maybe we can help him for a season. He had about eight months until he graduated high school. And so we started praying and we really felt like we were supposed to help him for eight months uh, get through high school. And so we were going to take him in. So it was a little interesting for us. We went from having absolutely no kids in the house to all of a sudden uh, raising a 17-year-old. And uh, we did all sorts of different things. We, we gave a curfew. I did my first parent-teacher conference. And uh, I'll never forget, I walked in. And I named who the kid was, and you could just tell the lady was looking at me like, this doesn't make sense. And then she looked at me, she's like, how old were you when you had this kid? <laughs> and so I explained the scenario, and then I asked how he was doing. And, and I'll never forget what she said. She started talking about how he was one of the most gifted kids, and he was really likable, but he had this hurt and this pain that always, always caused him to act out. And so we sat down, and I remember spending countless times praying for this boy. 
I remember spending countless nights and conversations at the dinner table just, you know, trying to, to parent and coach as best as I could. And it was like no matter what I tried, it seemed like nothing worked. In fact, things would go great after we'd have conversations and we'd do curfews and we'd do punishments and we'd do these things. It'd go great for two weeks, and then two weeks later, it was like back to the same. And then things started to get a little worse, and one time he brought drugs into the house. And so I just remember feeling hopeless. Like, I have prayed for this kid. I have fasted. My wife and I have talked to him. And we just had one of those scenarios where we just felt powerless to do anything. You ever had a moment like that in your life? Like, you've prayed for someone. You've asked for God to move. And it's like, no matter what you try, nothing seems to be happening. And then I'll never forget, we actually brought some of our questions to people who were in the church, and we asked them, like, what do you think we should do? And what surprised me a little bit was the church uh, people that we asked, they began to argue. And some of them began to say, like, this is what's wrong with foster care, and this is the government's fault, and this is this, and this is what you should do, and you should kick him out because he hasn't done these things. And meanwhile, it's like everyone's missing the point of this little boy who's hurting. And so for the next seven or eight months, as best as we could, we loved this kid and we got him to graduate. But the day he left our house, I just have to be honest, it was a day of like almost disappointment because I had this thought in my mind of what he would come in and what he would leave our house like. And honestly, if I'm being real transparent, it felt like no matter what I did, he actually left unaffected and unchanged. And I just felt powerless That no matter what I prayed, said, gave him every sermon, every book, everything, just seemed to fall flat. Ever been there? And yet this is what you find is going on in this text. What you find is there is a boy who is hurting and acting out, and the disciples are brought in to try to bring change. But it's like no matter what strategy they try, it just seems like nothing is working. And the disciples find out they're powerless. And you notice what happened at the beginning of this text? At the very beginning, it said the religious leaders, do you remember what they were doing? They were arguing. And so you have the religious leaders who are supposed to have the solutions that are arguing about philosophies and preferences. And I say this because if you were to ask me, like, what is a modern-day picture of the church or the cultural moment we live in? I would say it's Mark chapter 9. What you find is, if you're honest, and maybe you're here for church for the first time or you haven't been coming for a while, What what you're aware of is there are people in this room, outside of this room, in your life, in your community, in your job that are really hurting. And they have some deep wounds and deep pains. And then what you find is there are Christians who want to make a difference, but if we're honest, sometimes it feels like Christians are powerless and helpless to push back the darkness that we face in the world. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at like the capital C church, it's like the church that's supposed to bring solutions and answers, sometimes it feels like the church is more concerned about what's going to happen in the end times or preferences or what's happening in the Oval Office versus what's happening in the heavenly places. And so this is what you find in this text. And there are Christians. One of the things I've been drawn to Brookwood is that this is a church that's not perfect. In fact, part of our secret slogan here is no perfect people allowed. But this is a church that really strives after trying to make a difference and push back the darkness. But one of the things that I find is for all of us that are trying to do that, there are times when we look at culture, we just find like we're powerless and we're helpless to make a dent in the culture. 
And so what, what I want to contend to you this year is as we continue in this series, Jesus at the Center, this isn't a cute title or a slogan. What we really believe, what I really believe is that the church does not need better strategies in 2024. It needs deeper life in the spirit. Amen. What I believe is that God in this church, and I see him doing it in your life, I see him doing it in my life, I see him doing it in our community, but what God's doing, I believe, is he's not just giving us like new rhythms or new resolutions, he's given us a new heart. He's given us new power. And can I just encourage you that for those of you who are hungry and thirsty, you will be filled in this new year. In fact, there is no one who has ever in human history been hungry and thirsty for the presence of God, who's ever left unfiltered, unsatisfied, amen? It's only the apathetic or the disinterested that miss the plans and the power of God. So in this new year, what I'm contending is I really believe that God wants to give us and he is giving us deeper power. But one of the threats to that deeper power and you keeping Jesus at the center will be what we just read in this text in Mark chapter nine. And it's unbelief, it's unbelief. In fact, I would just submit to you, you can either be transformed in your faith or you'll be transformed in unbelief. Now, there are natural levels of doubt we will all face. In fact, I think there is a razor thin edge at times between doubt and faith. But what I'm speaking about is this doubt that causes unbelief. Like when you have someone or something bad happen in your life, what, what you see is there are some people that that pain will draw them closer to God. And then other people that you know who are no longer following God because the pain and the disappointment caused them to question God and that doubt pushed them further and further away from God. And I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, uh, the culture we live in, sometimes I tend to go to war with the wrong things. And what I'm inviting you to do this new year is, is to actually go to war with the right thing, which is unbelief, and not go to war with people. To spend time battling this subject of unbelief and allowing God to take you deeper than he ever has before. And so to do that, what I want to do is just give you a couple points for those of you who are seeking God and feeling like there is just more in the spirit that he is doing. I want to give you a couple points that I think will help you as you seek to fight unbelief and really go to war with unbelief and dive deeper in the spirit. And this is the first thing I want you to see. If you're going to battle unbelief, go to war with unbelief, Dive deeper in the spirit than ever before. The first thing you got to do that we see from this text is don't play the blame game. Don't play the blame game. Now, one of the things I love, many of you who've been around for, for a little while, you know we have twin girls, they're four years old, and they keep us busy. And one of the things that's interesting is, like if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know this, when you get concerned is when it's quiet, Right? Like, I forget sometimes when people don't have kids, they'll, they'll come over to our house and we're watching a movie and we've just, we've got used to watching things with subtitles. We never hear audio because the kids are screaming, they're making noise. And sometimes, if you ever notice it, you can put a kid in a room for two minutes. It's a modern day miracle how much destruction they can do in two minutes. It's a miracle. But once in a while, when we walk into a room, we'll see the room destroyed and then we'll ask the question, who did it? Or like we'll hear like a bottle break or something like that. And and Steph most of the time will walk up and say, who did it? Do you know their answer most of the time? It wasn't me. me. No, I wish it was that. Their answer 90% of the time is dad did it. Dad did it. And like there'll be moments where they'll break something and they'll be like, dad did it. And Steph will be like, hey, hey, dad was right beside me. And they will say things like, yeah, but dad looked at me wrong. And they're four years old, and you wonder, where do they learn this? Like, where do they start playing the blame game? And there's only one answer that's obvious. It's their mother, all right? 
It was easier to say that in the first service because she wasn't here, so <laughs> I'm not making eye contact. But you ever notice, like, at an early age, people are programmed to play the blame game. Soon as something happens, it doesn't matter if it's business, work, life, family, whatever, the moment something happens, it's like we are programmed to shift the blame. And, and some of that is natural, but some of that I would just contend when you start playing the blame game in life, what happens is it creates a poison and a negativity loop that will actually rob you from deeper faith. And, and notice this, it's subtle because this passage has a whole lot in it, but notice verse 17 and 18. This father who has some real disappointment and pain starts to subtly play the blame game. Listen to what it says. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. But notice this, verse 18. And of course I'm projecting, but imagine how he says this. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. You ever think about the fact that he has the author and the perfecter, the alpha and the omega, the great healer and the great physician right in front of him. And the first thing he says is, your disciples couldn't do it. So a little bit of pain and hurt in life, what happens is we, we can honestly just try to hold on to those things. You know, I don't know, have you ever seen the great theological classic Groundhog's Day, anybody? <laughs> it's a great movie, but it's a terrible way to live. Because in this movie, what happens is this guy wakes up and the same thing happens over and over and over again. And yet there are some people, and maybe you're in this room, and first let me just say, I don't minimize the pain you've experienced. Some of you have had awful things happen even recently. And I just want you to know, first of all, we as a church want to come around you. And second, the Spirit of God grieves that. But the problem is sometimes when we experience wrong, it's like we wake up every single day and we just start playing this blame game and we hold on to that and we relive that thing over and over and over again. And some people get so used to carrying pains and hurts in their lives, they actually can't imagine life without it because it's all they've known. And yet what happens is it brings you deeper in this negativity loop, but also what happens is suddenly what happens, you get your eyes off of God. And you start to see the pain, the disappointment. Remember when Peter sank? It's when he got his eyes on the waves and the problems and the obstacles and he got his eyes off God. And the blame game will get your eyes quickly off God. And you'll start to wonder, where is his goodness? Where is his kindness? Why did this thing happen? And it doesn't mean that you might be freed overnight. Sometimes it takes process and it takes counseling and it takes healing and it takes ministry stuff. But can I just submit, one of the things that I believe God wants to do in 2024 is when those bad things happen. And listen, I hope 2024 has been awesome. And if you're in a great spot, hallelujah. But I just know things will happen. And when those things happen, you've got to make sure you, you choose not to relive the past. Not to relive the past and allow the Spirit of God to help you rewrite the future. One day at a time, by not playing the blame game, by not getting stuck in that negativity loop. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
Now, how many of you at some point in, in your life have either had jewelry or you've had something like a cross in your house? Anybody? Okay, quite a few of you. You know, we can miss the significance in Matthew 16 of what Jesus is saying here when he talks about the cross. This is before the resurrection of Jesus. And so in essence, this would be like Jesus saying modern day to you, I want you to take up the electric chair. Like imagine if you just had an electric chair on your wall and someone came over to dinner and you just never addressed it. Like, hey, welcome into our home. Happy New Year to you. Like we miss the significance. When Jesus says the cross, it's, it's audacious. I mean, it is shocking, it's audacious, it's overwhelming because this was the Roman culture's greatest source of punishment and shame. So Jesus is gathering with the disciples. He's like, hey, you want to be a part of my crew? Here's the deal. Take up the cross. And they're all like, ooh, I don't like that, Jesus. But in essence, what he's doing, he's not trying to shame them. He's just trying to say, here's the problem with what Christianity does. It doesn't work one foot in, one foot out. And I've said this before, and it's a weird phrase when you think about it, but it's true. Some people have just enough Jesus to make them miserable. What I mean by that is like, if you've ever been on a diet, you know what it's like to feel good after you eat clean. And as amazing as fried food is, you feel awful after that. And there are people who've been awakened to the presence of God, and we think the issue is with the job or the spouse or the things that's going on. And honestly, what's happened is you've drifted from God. And so Jesus is saying very kindly, you can't have two things in your life that are God. You will either have me or something else. One will win out. And so what's interesting is, you know what he says to the disciples? He doesn't assume everyone will do it. Because you know what he says? The first word he says to the disciples, did you pick up on it in Matthew 16? It's one word. He says, if. Because for some people, the price of following God will be too high. But for those of you who are hungry and thirsting for the Holy Spirit, who want more life, can I just tell you, there is more life that is available, but it only works when you're all in. And so Jesus is inviting us to make sure that we go to war with unbelief by first making sure we don't play the blame game. The second thing that, that we see in this text is you got to focus on the unseen. So if you're going to go to war with the unbelief, and you're going to have a deeper faith where Jesus is at the center. The next thing you're going to have to do won't be natural. It'll actually be unnatural. You're going to have to focus on the unseen, which, which really means you're going to have to focus on the Spirit of God and the presence of God. In fact, listen to what it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. So what is the evidence of things you cannot see? I would contend with you it's the promises of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God. See, naturally, what will happen is you will have circumstances in your life and you will focus on what you see. The problem is what happens when life gets difficult? What happens when things are unchanged? What happens when you feel hopeless and powerless? What happens when the prayers seem like they're falling on deaf ears? What happens when you don't have the physical strength to keep going? What happens is you see things that will actually disrupt your faith. So what the Bible says is you've got to get spiritualized. You've got to be able to look past what you see in the physical if you want to keep Jesus at the center and you want deeper power. And I just got to say, it's like the goodness of God for me even this week. I was preaching or I was getting ready to preach on this and I just had one of those days. Anybody have one of those days where nothing goes well? Nobody? Okay, just making sure I'm with the right people. But I had one of those days where it was like nothing 
went right. And then to make matters worse, that afternoon I had to spend at the DMV, which is just not a good experience. If you work at the DMV, God bless you. You work there? Oh. We'll talk after. But I had one of those days where it's just nothing was going to the plan at all. And I remember calling my wife, and she said, how was your day? And I said, well, let me tell you. And I walked through the whole thing, and then I just said, I'm discouraged. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And I honestly said to her something to the effect, I don't remember exactly what it was. Today was one of those days that's just such a waste. I'm going to finish up some work, and then I'm going to spend some time looking over this sermon just so I can kind of take advantage of the day. I said, I'm going to spend some time praying. Do you know what's interesting? As soon as I got off the phone, I started looking over this sermon and I started to pray. I was getting ready to pray. And do you know the point that I looked at? Focus on the unseen. Literally, focus on the unseen. I am sitting there like five minutes previous. I'm walking around the children's area. We have cameras, video cameras all around. And if you would have seen me on the video camera, five minutes previous, I'm kind of walking around this going, I'm just discouraged. I start reading this. Focus on the unseen. And literally, I'm walking around the children's section. Thank you, Jesus, there was no one around. And I'm just sitting in there going, I look past my discouragement. I'm look, I look past my disappointment. I mean, I'm just sitting here like throwing my hands up and I'm like, Satan, bring it on. If you would have seen me on camera five minutes previous and then see me after, you'd have been like, my pastor smokes dope. I mean, it was just like... It was like I was all over the place. But what happened? What happened was I got my eyes on the unseen. What happened was I stopped looking at things with physical eyes. What happened was the Holy Spirit gave me spiritual lenses to look past what I see in the flesh and in my circumstances. And I'm just telling you what God wants you to do is he wants to raise up a faith that is not contingent on what is happening around you physically because you have spiritual goggles now to look past those things and have a faith that transcends your circumstances. Amen? And so that's what God's wanting to do. And if you just focus and you walk to church and you live your life and you just let life happen to you, can I just tell you this? You're going to drift in your faith. If you don't intentionally spend time with God, you will naturally drift towards him. No one, no one drifts towards God. You drift towards doubt. You seek God. And so that's why the invitation is to focus on what is unseen, to spend time in there. And one of the things I love about the Bible but one of the things I struggle with is we read the Bible and it's almost like we have this sort of placid approach because it's like a movie you've seen before. You know, when you watch a movie and you know the end of it, you're not nervous. But when you don't know the, the end of that, you're sort of sitting there with just sort of bated breath. You're worried. And sometimes I think we read the Bible because we've grown up in, in Sunday school or other places where we've heard the stories. We lose some of the anticipation of what's happening because I was even thinking about this. Remember the, the story of the men and women the Israelites who are going to march around the walls of Jericho, they're in a comfortable place, Mount Sinai. And one day God says to the people of God, here's the deal, I know you're comfortable, but I got a task for you. I'm gonna give you a land, but you're gonna have to take it. Oh, and by the way, Jericho, just so you know, was one of the most fortified cities around. It had rarely, if ever, been conquered. And so God's telling you, all right, here's the deal. I want you to move from this mountain of comfort and all of a sudden, you're going you're gonna to claim this city of Jericho. And you're sitting there going, all right, God, I'm in. What's the plan? 
And then he looks at you and he goes, a marching band. Your secret weapon is a trombone. And you're just sitting there going, that's good, God, what you got? But you think about that. You read this and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, seven days they march. Think about that. Day one, you're sitting there, really, a marching band? And you're just, you're just walking around. And it's not 30 minutes of walking. It's all day. And then all of a sudden, you've got this fortified city that's never been conquered. And they're mocking you and you're being jeered at and you're made fun of and you're just marching. Then you imagine like day two, probably morale's starting to shift. People are getting hungry. And then it's starting to get frustrating because all of a sudden, everyone who's chipper and quoting Bible verses in the Torah is all of a sudden just wondering, is this thing, why would God cause us to walk around a city? Day four, morale's even lower. Day five, no one's talking. Day six, everyone's going, what's going on here? But you know what happens? Day seven, day seven, because they focused on the unseen, breakthrough happened. I don't know where you are, but I know there are some people in the room that you have prayed for years for the same thing. You showed up to church, you've asked God to move, you've asked him to intercede for a prodigal son or daughter, you've asked him to free you of that thing that seems to be enslaving you, and I'm just telling you, you might be on day three, you might be on day four, you might be on day five, but I'm telling you, breakthrough's coming. You just can't quit. And the only way you can do that is you gotta focus on the unseen because your physical eyes will let you down in what you see. And so this is the invitation that the people of God are given. And you ever know, or you ever think about why this man is struggling with unbelief? Listen to what Jesus asked him in Mark 9, 21. How long has this been happening? How long has this been happening? Notice what the boy's father said. Since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. And notice this, have mercy on us, help us if you can. And so we don't know how old this boy is, but we know he's grown up. He's no longer a little boy because the father says since he was a little boy. So this isn't just days or months. This is years. This is years of the father pleading, begging. You have to imagine this isn't his first attempt to do something. He's desperate now. But you have to imagine he's probably had faith potentially and prayed and asked for God to do something, and day in and day out, what does he see? Someone who's unchanged, someone who's unaffected, he feels powerless, he feels hopeless. And so he's in this spot where he's beginning to question. And notice, did you notice what it says here? It's subtle, but this is important. Notice what he says to Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. He doesn't even say if you will. He's now questioning that Jesus even has the power to help his little boy. Because after a while, again, you will not drift towards faith. You'll drift towards doubt, and you will drift towards unbelief. And if you don't go to war with unbelief, then what will happen, and if you don't focus on the unseen, when you have those pains and disappointments, and suddenly when it feels like heaven's not answering, and it feels like heaven's silent, you'll begin to wonder, what if it's something with me? What if God doesn't love me? What if my prayers aren't heard? What if God really isn't good and it's subtle, but you will drift and you will drift and you will drift, you will drift. No one wakes up and just says, hey, one day I think I'm going to quit following God. No, I've never met anyone who just says, one day I was worshiping on Sunday, woke up the next day and I'm done. If you trace their steps, they slowly, slowly, slowly drifted away. Because what happened is they began to focus on what they could see in the midst of their circumstances. Now, you ever watch sports, and one of the things that's, that's you know, game-changing about sports, if you will, is they have that little instant replay thing. 
And so what happens with instant replay is suddenly you, you start to see that the refs who might miss something in real life because life happens quick, what they will do is they will go take a moment, they will pause, and they will rewind that thing and they will look at what they couldn't see in the moment because things are happening too fast, right? And so in that moment, they might have missed something, but now they've got a different vantage point. They've got a tool that gives them a perspective that they couldn't have had without it. It gives them something to look past what they can see with their own physical eyes. And so in some cases, they will, they will you know, uphold the call, but in other cases, they will actually reverse the call. And so when you focus on the unseen, what you are doing is you are getting a different vantage point. You, you are able to take what you see with your physical eyes that you might miss with the eyes that you have, and all of a sudden you start looking and you start seeing that, that there is a reverse call that can happen in the Spirit of God. So suddenly you start going, all right, I, I know what the doubt says, I know what the spouse says, I know what the doctor says, I know what the circumstances say, but here's what the Word of God says. Here's what the Spirit of God says. Here's what the power of God says. Here's what the ability of God says. Listen, I am preaching way better than you're giving me credit for right now. Come on. <laughs> you got to get some life in you. I told you, we would have been done. I want you to know, when you get out late today, this is on you. If you would have just responded five minutes early, I would not have had pent-up preacher. Oh, no. Now you made me lose my notes. Look what you did. Don't worry, we can start over. But let me give you this. For those of you who feel like God is creating a new hunger in you. Let me just give you one verse to memorize. Mark chapter 9, 24. I love this. Remember when Jesus tells the father, do you believe? I love what his, his response was. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. What if the church, what if we as a church prayed that every single morning? God, I do believe. But help my unbelief. I believe you can do more. I believe you can change that circumstance. Help my unbelief. Help what I see right in front of me that seems unchanged and unaffected. Help give me spiritual eyes to do something that only you could do. Now, the third thing I want to say is this. Um, if you're going to go to war with unbelief, you, you have to do some things you've never done before. You have to do some things you've never done before. Now, it's interesting if you think about this. This is not the first time the disciples have ever healed someone or cast out a demon. In fact, what was so shocking is they were given authority, they had the ability before, and now all of a sudden, for the first time ever, they can't do what they normally do. So business as usual isn't working. The, the normal operating principles aren't happening, and so they're very intrigued, they're overwhelmed, they're feeling powerless. So when the crowds leave, they pull Jesus aside and they say, hey, what's the deal? Like, we can't do what we've normally done. And listen to what Jesus responds in Mark 9, 28. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. The New King James Version says, this kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. Notice this key word, this kind. This kind, this kind. There was something about this kind of darkness 
There was something about this kind of resistance. There was something about this kind of evil. There was something about this kind of problem that normal business operations wouldn't do. And so Jesus, in essence, is showing them they're going to have to do some things they have not done before. They're going to have to go deeper than they ever have before. Now, one of the things that hit me the other day is, I don't know why I was sitting down having a cup of coffee, and it just hit me that there is a physical war going on. Does it ever just, like, hit your brain that there is a war going on with Ukraine and Russia and all that? I mean, it's just sobering to me. And it's like, most of the time, I'm thinking about what the week's going to hold or what I'm going to eat that day, and then all of a sudden, like, every once in a while, a thought will hit me. There are little, literally people who are at war. And yet, oftentimes, I'm oblivious to it. The reason I tell you that is there is a spiritual war going on that, that many of us are oblivious to. We're just thinking about what's going to happen right after this or what's going to happen tonight. But the Bible says that your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against demonic forces. And so there is a spiritual realm going on. And if you're anything like me, sometimes just ignorantly, I will think maybe things are getting better because when I read the Bible, there were like demonic possessions. And so, like, I don't see that happening at that level. And so some people might even think that things are getting better, especially with certain advancements and technology and medicine and all these things. And yet I would just contend to you that if we really slow down and think about it, things are darker than they've ever been in culture. In fact, I was just thinking about a couple things that, that are true in our culture. Like, I was thinking about even how dark and prevalent pornography is. Do you know, that I read this stat the other day that, that showed that the pornography industry makes as much money in one year as all of collegiate sports do. All of collegiate. And this is just paid pornography. This is not the amount consumed. And again, I mentioned I was a youth pastor 15 years ago, and there was not a week that went by that some student, and it wasn't just boys, a lot of times it was girls, who would sit down and say, I'm addicted to this. And pornography kills the life of the spirit, and it kills marriages. And I'm not naive that even in a room like this, there are some of you that struggle with it. And it's, it's an issue that you're facing. And then I was thinking about even trafficking. You know, it is sobering to me that there are more kids than ever before in human history that are trafficked. Like, on our watch, there are more kids than ever before in human history that are being trafficked and sold into slavery. And then you think about mental health. And I've been transparent for the first time in my life. Several years ago, I struggled with mental health. And yet what's concerning to me is it doesn't seem to be getting better. In fact, Harvard University just recently re released a study that said one out of every two people will develop a mental health disorder in their lifetime. That's 50% of people in this room will struggle with mental health. And it creates crippling levels of anxiety and fear and insomnia and it robs you of the spirit of God and the peace that he wants to bring. And then there's secularism. You know, what's interesting is 60 years ago, I would contend that, that, that people, it's not that they didn't believe in God, they didn't just necessarily want to follow him. And so people, it, they, they weren't hostile towards God. And that's why years ago you could do things like revival weekends and you could throw a tent on the lawn and you could invite people and people would come in. And it's not that they were really hostile towards God, they just didn't really want to follow him. And yet what you find is today, people aren't indifferent towards God, they're hostile towards him. And, and what's interesting is secularism will tell you, you can believe whatever you want as long as you don't keep Jesus at the center. So believe whatever you want, 
talk about whatever you want, but you can't speak about Jesus. And the culture has become increasingly secular and hostile towards the things of God. And then you take political and racial divisions. And there are people, unfortunately today, that, that we live in a culture where racism still exists. And there are people who've experienced that. And there are people who've experienced the sting and the pain of comments being said because of the color of their skin, and that's darkness. And then you think about political divisions. I'll just tell you this. People asked me offline when I first stepped into this role about a year ago, they said, are you worried about the transition? Are you anxious about the transition? And here's my honest answer. I was not anxious about the transition. What I was most anxious about was pastoring a church in 2024 when the elections are happening. Because what I have found is well-meaning Christians have given more allegiance to a donkey or an elephant than the slain lamb. And what I mean by that is I'm not telling you not to vote, but can I just humbly submit if the church spent as much time in prayer and fasting and speaking about the light of Jesus, I just believe that the church would be a beacon for hope and yet somehow it's become fractured and in some ways it loses its voice because it, it forgets to major in the majors. And then you have things like addictions. And you know, for years... I, I struggled with something, and I used to tell people, hey, I struggle with something, but can I just submit to you, if you've struggled for something for seven, eight, ten years, it's no longer a struggle, it's a stronghold. And there is actually dark, demonic forces that are trying to take hold of that issue, and I never knew this. And for years, I thought something was wrong with my faith, but what I found was there was a real darkness, and I had to deal with that. And might I just submit, this kind of darkness in our culture cannot come out with business as usual. This kind of darkness requires a new kind of faith, a new kind of power, a new kind of strength, a new kind of hope, a new kind of gentleness, a new kind of life in the Spirit, amen? And so what I am submitting to you is this, the church, while it does need strategies, we do not need better strategies. We need deeper life in the spirit. We need people of prayer and fasting so that we can join God in the renewal of all things. Listen, can I just say this as we close? God has not called us to say a prayer and then one day go to heaven. God has called us to live a life in such a way where heaven comes down to this earth and pushes back the darkness. That's what he's invited you to do. And when you understand that light pushes back darkness, then all of a sudden you start to have a new kind of hope. But this kind, this kind can only come out with prayer and fasting. So I'm inviting us as a church to spend time in this new year seeking God in a new way. And that's one of the reasons, if you've been around, you've heard us speak about this thing called breakthrough. And that's what I'm inviting our church next week to be a part of. In fact, if, 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 if I could ask you for one thing, for the entire month, do not miss the entire month. Like, like, I don't want you to ever miss, but if I have to, I will use all my cards to get you here for the next month because we're gonna be spending some time next week talking about breakthrough. And then even after that, the subjects I'm gonna preach on are things like strongholds, physical healing, emotional healing, things that, that the freedom of God, I believe, really wants to bring into our lives. And so I would beg you, turn over heaven and hell to be here. But next week, what we're gonna do is this thing called breakthrough. 
And really, breakthrough is all about spiritual movement. It's everything we talked about in this passage. It's moving us from unbelief into deeper life in the Spirit because people don't drift towards God. They drift towards doubt. So it's intentional about creating movement that's going to help you hear from God in new and fresh ways. There are three things that are really all about breakthrough and why we're doing this breakthrough thing. One is we are doing three church-wide gatherings. And so we just believe there's something powerful about meeting together. I have a friend who's coming in from England, and he did these talks. And when I heard him, I told him this year, I said, you have to bring these to Brookwood. And so he's going to be preaching next week. And uh, he's going to do the same service on Sunday morning, next Sunday at 9 and 11. So pick one of those services. Then everyone's invited to come back Sunday night, 6.30 in this auditorium. And then Monday night, we're going to spend some time in this auditorium as well, praying and seeking God. So three unique sessions for us to gather together. Then after that, it's everyone's favorite thing I'm inviting us into, fasting. I can feel the tension in the room. (laughs) The false excitement is very endearing. I appreciate it. But uh, we're going to spend a week long fasting. And uh, you should think JC and David Hardy, I wanted to go 14 days. They said, let's start off with a week. So, but here's the thing. For some of you, this is intimidating. For some of you, you've, you've, you've fasted before. It's not intimidating. In your program, let me just encourage you this. You will see something on Breakthrough. There is a whole page with resources, information. Please, please read that. Podcast on how to fast, why to fast, all these things. So please make sure you read that. But there are three ways we're inviting you to fast. One of the ways you can fast for a week is just fast from one meal. And let me just say this, fasting is not about dieting. It's about feasting on the presence of God. What you're doing when you fast is you are saying, what I feel in my physical body, this hunger, may that be true in my spiritual body. May I have a hunger and a thirst for God. And so do one meal a day. You can fast from breakfast or lunch or dinner. The other option is fast sunup to sundown. And then the third option is do a a liquid fast, just fast with juice. And you can have bone broth, smoothies, all sorts of things. I've heard of people, because they're trying to do liquid diets, they put like whole steaks and grind them up. So whatever it is for you, (laughs) I'm not telling you how to do it. The point is simply this. Take a step. Take a step. If you want to see God do some things you've never seen before, then you're going to have to do some things you've never done before. And so my invitation is whatever that looks like, it's between you and God. But for a week, what would it be like for us to petition heaven where there are several thousand people that are crying out hungry, not just for new rhythms or new strategies, but for new power. I just believe heaven would hear that. I believe heaven would hear that, don't you? And so we're going to do that together. The third thing is simply this, the devotionals. And on the way out, we're giving them to you a week early. My ask for you is many of you use these devotionals. They're a helpful resource for you. If you haven't, we write them that go along with all the sermons. And so uh, this is because we believe hearing from God and walking with him is incredibly important. You can get these devotionals online or you can also grab them on the way out. I'm asking you to make sure that next week you hit every one of the devotionals whenever you spend time with God but allow the prayer and the the fasting to create a new hunger for you. As we close, I just want to say again, what I believe God is doing is he's not just giving us better strategies, but he's given us deeper spiritual power for 2024. And so I believe for those of you who are hungry, and I see it in this church, 
And many of you, your faith has stirred me on. For those of you who are hungry, I believe God's going to pour out his spirit in new and fresh ways. There has never been anyone who has hungered and thirst for the presence of God who's not been filled up. May we be people who hunger and thirst for God. Amen? Hey, if you do need prayer or you need breakthrough, let me just say this. I really believe what I'm about to say and then we'll be done. We don't believe you have to wait till next week. We believe God is a God of miracles. And so if you need any prayer, if anything you have in your life is going on, I'd invite you to come down at the end of the service. And there are uh, people who prayed up, would love to pray for you. On your way out, grab those devotionals. Let me just pray for our time together. And uh, make sure you eat as much as you can before next week, all right? (laughs) Dear God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your many blessings. God, I pray that you would raise up men and women of deep faith. God, I believe that this kind of darkness and this kind of evil and this kind of resistance and this kind of secularism and this kind of division can't come out with business as usual. Can't come out with clever strategies or human personalities or even good sermons, God. It requires a new kind of faith, a new kind of power. And so I'm just praying that this year would be the year that you give men and women and myself in this room new spiritual eyes to see you and new spiritual ears to hear you in ways that would transform our life and ultimately bleed into this culture and push back the darkness. So we are asking, God, as we seek you this year, that you would be the center of our lives, the center of everything, God. And we are believing that you are faithful to hear the cry of your people. So we love you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we thank you for this morning. It is in your amazing, mighty, wonderful name we pray. Everyone agreed and said, amen. Blessings to you. We are so grateful you joined us today for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. There is a daily devotional companion for today's episode. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional on the Brookwood Church app. And on the app, you'll notice that you can share the day's devotion you're reading with your friends and family through text messaging, email, or your social media. Next Sunday and Monday, January 14th and 15th, begins our week-long church-wide initiative called Breakthrough. It's a challenge for us to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ through intentional times of fasting and prayer. We'll meet during our normal Sunday morning services, January 14th at 9 and 11, and we'll have two additional sessions, Sunday and Monday at 6.30. Again, we're grateful you joined us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you during our next episode.